You're listening to Exploring Sustainable Values with your host, Norman Cella, on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. In the previous episode, we covered shared values leadership, the responsibilities of the leader, and how they can set a great example for sustainable financial practice. This time, we're zooming out and speaking of the system that they're leading with, sustainable finance as a whole. If you're wondering, system here means all the parts that make finance work. Imagine the money that leaves your hands to the products you purchase, the strength of our currency, the funds, investors, and organizations that allow these transactions, all the way down to the materials we mine from the ground. They're all part of the system. So, how can we understand and take action to improve the systems mentioned before, to give us more opportunity to take care of the world? The system is the bedrock of all of these purchases, decisions, and conversations, and our upcoming guest can give us unique insight into how it works and how to understand it. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm James Vaccaro. I'm the Executive Director of the Climate Safe Lending Network, um, which is the multi-stakeholder collaborative of banks and investors and NGOs around the world, all focused on how do we decarbonize the, the banking sector. Here's an exercise for you to play around with. Think about things at scale. If one person pays a meal for lunch, that's not exactly going to move the needle in terms of economy. But think of a million people buying lunch at the same time. And all of a sudden, at scale, this will affect the economy. More money coming in, more money going out. People are participating and people are fed. Let's add some sustainable flair to it. Your neighbor recycling cardboard, paper, and other materials may not exactly move the needle in environmental impact, but imagine a million people. We're now speaking of societal impact. How do countries contribute to reducing emissions? How do governments mandate this move? And even further, at a global scale, how can we address and make a dent on the negative impacts of climate change globally, whether methods, systems, or otherwise? James brought up the term net zero, which is the foundation of this. As you're aware, the whole founding premise of what is driving climate change is emissions into the atmosphere. It's not just carbon, it's carbon equivalents. So there's methane and, and nitrous oxides going into the atmosphere. And cumulatively, we're filling up this layer. It's like filling a bathtub. And when it gets to a certain level of concentration, that becomes very dangerous in terms of driving levels of warming on the planet. So the first thing that we need to do is to stop filling the bath. In other words, the bath is draining at the same rate that it's, it's being filled to it, and we're not making the problem any worse. So the question is, how quickly are we going to reach it? And how rapidly is that going to uh, happen in this near term to kind of give us more time to make other adjustments and adaptation to be able to, to protect our societies, economies, and uh, natural ecosystems? Imagine your bath filled up with dirty water. Ew. Ironically, we're currently living in this giant bath, slowly filling up with water, affecting our daily lives. Emissions, whether carbon equivalent or not, the air getting hotter, our breathing is getting affected, and the skies of cities are gray with a myriad of byproducts emitted by cars. Our friends, our families, our loved ones. Breathing the same collective affected air 
as a result of our combined efforts to address this. The net zero concept, built as a challenge against this ticking time running out, whether 2050 or earlier, is a way for us to address this early on. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and the next best is now, after all. So, why didn't we care about all this until recently? The reason why this is so concerning is that it does not have precedent before. It is not the case that the financial sector has really been able to mobilize itself preemptively in the face of an impending crisis. It tends to react. But in terms of it being without precedent, you look at the last 800,000 years of climate, it's been operating within a very narrow band of variation. We're now so far up above those upper bounds, and we're taking the planet into very different tipping points. The alternative for moving to net zero and trying to avert these major impacts from happening would be to try and deal with things like the tipping point of the Antarctic. If you get the melting of and the you know Thwaites Glacier is 65 centimeters of global sea level rise, it's very, very difficult to invest either public or private in something like that to be able to, to, to seriously kind of adapt to these kind of tipping point systems. It's scary. The natural wildlife and environment around us with 800,000 years of history and climate are now heavily affected to the point that it's slowly becoming dangerous for us, the people living on this planet, to live in. At this rate, the green you see around you will turn gray, and the fresh breeze you breathe in will become too harsh for you to take into your body. It's scary to think about. So, with what we have right now, what can we do? So what we need to do from a financial perspective is look at, well, what are the pathways? What are the, the potential to be able to kind of get there as quickly as possible? If that's mobilized very quickly, then those kind of forces and investments are always what's going to wean us off the oil and gas, the fossil fuel production, which is driving climate crisis. If we can find out ways to be able to have more regenerative agricultural systems, which if we can reverse those flows in the next decade, then we can have not only a better chance of getting to net zero more quickly, but also we'll have a much more resilient, uh, sustainable planet to live in. Comprehending the natural ecosystem around us is a good indicator of who we are as long-term thinkers. Should we care? Should we prioritize and take advantage of these opportunities that benefit us in the long run? We have the tech. We have rising markets, and we have the data. As investors, participants in society, and as people, a thought comes to mind. The choice of whether or not to be involved in or contribute to this supposed positive change. From a financial system, it becomes a question of what drives behaviors in the financial system. Now, what are some of the challenges in pushing for that choice? James shares his perspective. Risk is a function of familiarity. If you're very familiar with something, you know how it works and you've grown up with it, you kind of feel more comfortable. And a lot of the legacy industries which are causing harm right now, we've become familiar. We've, 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 you know, we're used to uh, conventional agriculture. We're used to fossil fuel. We know what the energy level, we know what it's going to burn. We understand the kind of the, the general market dynamics. A lot of these new technologies, despite having good credentials, and a lot of them now in solar, in wind, 
they're, they're mature, they're cost competitive, but they're not as familiar and the systems around them are not as familiar. And this is the inherent problem of, of transition, which is finances, finance will always kind of look to uh, the familiar. It's harder to lead from that emerging future. It's, it's an inertia thing. It's, it's hard to get the it's hard to get it moving, but when it when it does move, it will be unstoppable. The question for the world is when's it really going to get to that tipping point? This thinking pattern has been a legacy for decades. Nobody knows how to draw those lines when you project into the future. There is this sort of basic core belief. You know, how can you tell how it's going to be in the, in the future? You know, if you're if you're driving over a cliff edge, you might, unless you're looking in the right direction, you might not see the cliff edge until you're over the top of it. And right there, you have the difficulty, I think, for financial sector transition, which is it tends to project past trends into the future. And what the science is saying right now in all the IPCC guidance on, on climate change is the path is not driving the future. It is going to be, it is going to inherently be different. Um, and that's a that's a really difficult challenge uh, at a, at, a, at an organizational and behavioral level. The risk conversational dilemma is apparent in financial ecosystems currently, but it is with good reason. Remember, these thinking patterns are proven. Whether right or wrong, it's a different story. But because it works, because there is data behind that thinking, it's easier to default to what is familiar than what is unknown and a recent observation. Shifting that legacy will be a great challenge. Unlearning feels like not a very gratifying thing. I'm not sure if I want to unlearn things. It's like the boat that has got us across the river really helpfully is now not so useful when we're trying to drag it up a mountain on the land. It's being able to see that broader context, to be able to understand that there's two different axes. There's environmental and social issues out there, I mean, which are either helping or harming financial performance of, of investments from an inward perspective. And there's investments which can either help or harm the environment and society. I mean, there are things which are driving the climate crisis, driving greater inequality. That's new skills. And I think that type of learning and contextual learning, that is, that's the core competence now that's required in finance. You know, being able to kind of recognize things as being beyond complicated systems where you can just figure out a number and plug it in to, to complex systems and being aware of all of the different forces acting upon the future. That's what we're going to need um, from the graduates coming into finance. That's what we're going to need from the leaders uh, in the next decade. James's optimism in this answer is captivating. To evolve the financial ecosystem into one that takes into account values beyond profit, turning it into one which challenges the climate crisis, we will need fresh minds and perspectives. When we bring in new skills, contextual learning, systems thinking, multidimensional points of view, and more, this is when we will see a welcoming shift, the marrying of proven valuable legacy thinking paired with the freshness of new perspectives into a form of finance beneficial for everyone. That could be a healthier direction for the environment. We just did a report called the Carbon Bankroll, which was tracking the, the climate impacts of corporate cash. 
they're climate leaders and they've got very aggressive and, and, and leading climate strategies. They've never really looked at, well, where's their cash going? And if it's sitting in the banking sector and going through the general financial institutions in the financial system, so how does the financial system figure out how to have that conversation with all of the different actors to figure out how to create new solutions? I was a banker for two decades and I worked a lot in banks. And the job of a banker really is about making healthy agreements between multiple parties. But in a broader view, you need to think of those second order systemic impacts because all of that is, is affecting the economy, it's affecting the health of the entity, of the enterprise. So aligning the incentives in a way that makes those agreements healthy is a positive thing. That's part of what can be in the positive repertoire of a bank. To make it practical, you've got a trend called sustainability-linked loans where you are lending in some ways and saying, look, we might be able to incentivize you in order to make certain sustainability improvements to your business, which consequently might also be a pretty good job in managing the risk, which means the risk premium goes down, which is what helps us to make the incentive in, in the first place. There's also being able to bring insights. So banks are not just providers of money. They have, they have clients across the entire economy, so they're constantly getting feedback and data and insights, which could be usefully used and played back to their client base. So this is part of what banks can do, um, and it's recognizing that, that they have this leadership role to play, which can be powerful for their own business development, as well as being able to kind of, you know, set out real sustainability impact credentials. James's thought speaks to the evolution of finance, especially with sustainability embedded within it. As the financial ecosystem thrives, the number of organic conversations between multiple parties grows, from having the right principles to initiatives that can make money the right way while benefiting the environment. The biggest disruption in banking is coming from digitalization and new entrants and fintech. And if a bank conceives itself as only a vault which provides money, it's not going to survive, plain and simple, because the algorithms will outcompete in terms of being able to crunch the data of the past to inform credit decisions in the present, and they will win. And there isn't any room anymore for a bank which only conceives itself in that very narrow bandwidth of strategy. What a bank is, as you sort of said, is it's aligning all of these multiple perspectives of agency to be able to drive new solutions. We can see this in a number of patterns. The emergent rise of fintech, agile startups introducing new angles, the growing adoption of inclusive finance. Either way, these are different gateways into sustainably adapting to what the world needs. That's a win for everyone. I think that the whole history of inclusive finance was driven by a deep understanding and awareness of some of the social forces. It really came from um, the social bonds which existed within society and mobilizing those things which are about how humans trust one another in order to circulate credit and then it could be really successful uh, and, and can flow. If you don't understand those, the, the, the wider context of all of this, the, 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 how it lives within cultures, how it lives within society, how those bonds of trust are formed, then it can start to go wrong. And I think that those kind of are, are quite salient lessons for, um, for all sectors. 
Scalability of solutions, then, is a challenge. How do we know that the benefits we're aiming to seek from these solutions would work the same on a larger scale? If they don't, we start to detract away from the principles we wish to uphold. And that's not what we want. Finance is a complexity of conversations between those who need the benefits of loans, credit, lending, and those who can provide them, built on a bedrock of mutual understanding of the markets. We're now experiencing more concepts than we have the language and words for. You know, the sustainability principle of like economic development, which kind of meets the needs of the present generation without uh, denying the needs of the future generation. There's an element of neutrality around it. It is sustaining. And at the moment, if you look at the the loss of natural capital, uh, you know, uh, the Earth's kind of living systems, which have been degraded, the loss of species, the damage to the, the, the climate and the biosphere, there's a need to do more than just sustain what we've got. We need to be able to restore, replenish, and regenerate. And it's about being able to look again at sort of not just from a finance perspective, does sustainable finance do more than just sustain itself as a financial institution? Or is it positively contributing through that kind of impact towards a more sustainable, progressively sustainable um, world? Personally, I think that whenever you Whenever you try and look at that, that kind of global coordination, you need to be able to, I mean, it's, a, it's the overused phrase, but you need to think globally. In other words, think about these kind of concepts which are unifying, but then you have to act within the, the specific local context in order to make things work. Again, it's all part of this new set of competencies that this, this should be constant practice and finance needs to understand it because it's about making the healthy agreements between different groups of people and between different scales. It, you know, it's, it's, it, there's going to be sort of a, a means for the banker to support those local clients, understand some of those global megatrends which are going to impact the resilience uh, of their businesses and their communities. Finance has a bigger role to play for individuals, investors, and businesses. It's a giant complexity of interconnected parties, currencies, and resources. To understand this, we would need a certain set of skills. And that is systems thinking. Systems thinking is a sense-making tool to understand the complexity of the world. We look at relationships of a thing to understand it, instead of splitting it down to parts. This is key to exploring effective action in complicated fields, and sustainable finance is definitely one of them. We are all the system. There's been a, uh, a bit of pushback on, on some of the narratives which tend to kind of push it all onto individual action. Those choices which we have day to day are edited by the infrastructure and what's available to us. If you don't have, if you don't have municipal recycling collection or, or anywhere to take it, it's really hard to recycle. So we're all part of a system that agency and responsibility is not evenly distributed. We have to be conscious not only of our own actions, which do count and add up, but really of the entire sort of what are those, those systemic effects? What are all the institutions which should be, are, are they supporting or are they hindering us? And if we've got agency with them, what's the, what's the nature of the dialogue that we should be having? How should this be informing public policy? The more that we can talk about the, the, those forces across the system, the healthier we can, but the faster we can progress. Because if we're only blaming, uh, 
individuals for just not doing more without understanding and leaning into those choices and how we can kind of make it uh, easier, how we can make it uh, more cost effective, how we can make it more natural to be able to transition, then we will get then we will get stuck. We won't be able to go at the, at the pace we we need. And there's a growing tension between what you mentioned there of individuals, especially younger generation going, wait a second. <laughs> Uh, how can you not realize that the, those financial concerns you're talking about are entirely secondary to whether we get a world to live in? This is where those conversations need to be happening, and this is where the decisions need to be made healthier. To cultivate this, though, understanding where information comes from and how we perceive it, make decisions, and more is important. In human societies, we tend to look to, well, what is it we've learned already? What are the, what's the wisdom of the elders? Right now, though, you've got two forces. Firstly, no one in the world has ever seen what is about to come. The other aspect is that societies in the past have collapsed. Um, if you take Jared Diamond's book, uh, Collapse, I mean, it has happened before. We've, we've, uh, we've, over farmed the soils and then and then degraded the the land and then it's not able to feed ourselves anymore and those those you know island societies collapsed for example what we have now is a totally interconnected interdependent global society and that level of interconnection um, which should be promoting more solidarity and yet ironically it's being managed in, in ways which are exacerbating inequalities. I mean, what you see from the graphs of the world about, well, where, where is most of the emissions coming from? And then where are the most of the impacts? We're seeing a huge transference of damage and wealth across mostly from global uh, north to global south. And, and I think that these are, the, these are the sort of the forces which we absolutely need to be conscious of at, a, at the intergovernmental financial policy level. This is why we at Climate Safe Lending Network are talking with the financial regulators, those kind of actors who, are, who need to be able to look at these things which are unfamiliar and create a new repertoire. We need to be, you know, we need to be building the new vehicles as we're, as we're driving uh, on this new and unfamiliar path. Uh, and it's scary for people, and we should empathize and recognize that who wants to carry that kind of responsibility? The burden of responsibility is heavier than what most people think. Even the word sustainability has an implication in the meaning. How can I keep the planet alive? And now, putting that into the world of finance, how can we build a sustainable, interconnected system of societies, of people around the world, such that we can address the climate crises without creating financial silos in different regions. That's a lot of overwhelming information, and wrangling that is a challenge. So much of the global economy has been based upon linear thinking and assigning financial value to things for production, which has actually been extraction from a finite resource. Uh, planet Earth, and as we re and it's like, and in some ways, it's like, well, for as long as the, for as long as the well isn't dry, um, people are saying, yeah, I can still see the production, so you know, nothing needs to change. The second that the well is dry, and you cannot extract any more from it, the world has changed. 
So we need to be thinking about um, these, these more circular thinking. Uh, we need to be able to have a different accounting system, a different legal framework, all of those kind of the bits of the architecture, the social architecture is going to need to change in order to sustain a life worth living, um, which will be different. And in fact, will be in fact far more um, uh, hopefully equitable uh, and lead to, to, to greater human flourishing. But, but that it's, it's, a, it's an overwhelming responsibility. So I don't have blame for anyone, especially in the financial sector kind of going, Oof, you know, this is all just a bit too much for me. I'm just going to do what, what I've been told is my mandate. And I just do the finance part and maybe others can, can do that. It, it fundamentally um, uh, contradicts the fact that, well, we are the system and it's only going to be, you know, mobilizing from everyone's agency that we're going to have, you know, different patterns of connection uh, and build the, build the new system successfully. And it will be driven by the creativity of these, these progressive sustainability entrepreneurs. Those new businesses, they need finance to be able to scale up and to be able to displace and replace the dominant business models. We've been introducing agricultural practices, which then kill off the bees, which provide all of the pollination, which, which we, we rely upon for food systems. I mean, it's that sort of short-sighted. As we see those systems break down, despite the tragedy, there are those, those insights which can make people uh, uh, wake up, that can, that can inspire the new breed of entrepreneurs, that can bring in uh, and crowd in the new sustainable finance and help to build uh, the more sustainable world. So, what have we learned here? As we're exploring through the different areas and parts of sustainable finance, and how sustainability is expressed through its values, how can we understand and take action to improve the systems that give us the opportunity to take care of the world. First, we must seek to question the patterns that we're currently living in and introduce new inquiries. How does this affect the greenery around me? Are the decisions I'm making contributing to the climate crises in any way? And on a systemic level, how do I navigate the interconnected society around me well so we don't arrive at the tipping point while introducing fresh, creative minds into the financial ecosystem. Next, understand that the burden of responsibility falls on us to make changes according to what is happening in the environments around us. Sustainable finance marries the continuation of the livelihood of society, the people, the environment, and making conscious financial decisions. From where you are now, Learn more about the consequences of each of your actions in finance. Responding, reacting, and deciding based on each one is the basis for systems thinking skills, something we will need to grow a sustainable system. As you do so, talk about it with your family, friends, and colleagues. You'll soon realize that your actions mean a lot more than you think, and it's best to start now. In the next episode, you will hear about the future of Islamic finance from the Chief Executive Officer for Maybank Islamic. We've heard about the meanings, leaders, and systems at play, and now we will hear about them happening in real time, all around you. He'll share his thoughts and experiences on what's been happening, what was achieved, and an optimistic viewpoint on creating a sustainable financial ecosystem.
Until then, this is Norman Chella, and you have been listening to Exploring Sustainable Values on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. See you in the next episode. Take care. Special thanks to James Vaccaro for providing great insight into the systems that we participate in ourselves. This was a great opportunity to hear his perspectives on this. The contents in this episode are for educational purposes only and should not be taken as solicited advice. Maybank, as well as all parties mentioned in and connected with this episode, is not responsible for your use of the information contained in or linked from this episode. The contents showcase the personal opinions, experiences, and stories of contributors and do not reflect Maybank's stance on Islamic finance. Please seek an Islamic finance consultant for more detailed information to provide you an informed perspective in this space. Do, 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 do.